0: Well, it's good to be back from what is supposed to be sunny Los Angeles, California, but turned out to be rainy and cold Los Angeles. Uh, just uh, thank you for sending uh, some of us out to the Shepherds Conference. It was a sweet time of fellowship, wonderful time under the hearing of God's Word. Um, and also, thank you for those who helped hold down the fort while we were gone. Um, thank you, Ken for teaching last week, and Dale for filling in the sunday school i 'm still amazed how you get through all the handout um, but uh, and then also Tom helping out with music, all those guys so it 's good to know that you 're expendable from time to time helps bring humility. Um, But uh, you can turn your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, Pastor Dale already read it, um, but we will read it again. Leviticus 23, beginning in verse 23 to verse 25. Again, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a memorial by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any laborious work, but you shall bring an offering by fire near to Yahweh. The grass withers and the flowers fall, But the word of our God stands forever. Let's ask him for help. Lord, we ask for your help as we look at these ancient words, this ancient feast, which seems so far removed and and remote from where we live our lives. And yet, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the abiding truth and principles that we can glean so that we might live for you that we might live in light of your coming. And so, Lord, help us in this task. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that are soft and palatable, willing to receive, and hands that are ready to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, as I mentioned, we were at the Shepherds' Conference gathered there in Los Angeles with 3,000 other men. It was a Friday afternoon, and Mike, Mike Riccardi was preaching a message from Malachi chapter 3 and 4. And in the midst of his message... All of a sudden, 3,000-some phones started blaring. This obnoxious sound. Mike Riccardi kept his composure. He had to stop for a little bit in the midst of his sermon. But then he kept going on, only... To be interrupted again several minutes later by this blaring sound from our phones. I mean, what could be so important that there was some kind of alert on the phone? That everybody's phone was blaring, making this emergency signal. Was it some kind of invasion from another country? Were missiles headed towards the, the you know uh, Southern California? Was there some tsunami that happened that we were expecting some huge wave to come crashing upon us? No, there was a 91 year old man who was missing. easily found some 20 minutes later. <laughs> But for some reason, the county of Los Angeles decided that it was important for everybody in that area to have their day interrupted by this blaring sound. A sound of warning. A sound of caution. Well, that evidently in our day and age is how mass communication goes out. How warnings are sent out. How did they do it in the ancient world? Well... They did it through trumpets, through trumpets, burr, 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 burr. loud trumpets that were used on various occasions, sometimes summoning, gathering of people to war. We look in the book of Judges, and, and I believe it was a uh, Ehon, er, uh, Ehud, after he had assassinated Eglon, who called for the sounding of the trumpet to gather the Israelites to fight against the Moabites. It's used sometimes to gather all of God's people together. It was used earlier on in the book of Exodus, uh, earlier on in Torah, to summon God's people at the foot of Mount Sinai as God would descend down and meet with his people. And there's one particular feast, and we've been going through these different feasts. This feast we're going to look at today is called the Feast of Trumpets. And just a little bit by way of review, Leviticus chapter 23 is, is a kind of a catalog of the different feasts. And we've been able to see how each of these feasts wonderfully is in a very real sense a kind of prophecy of things that would happen in the future. That is a kind of type and picture of realities that are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. We saw that the first feast that Moses gives, the feast of Passover, was fulfilled in Christ being our Passover. He lied dead. He suffered upon that cross on that Friday. And wouldn't you know, that Friday that we call Good Friday was indeed Passover. Passover. And the next day began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we saw how Christ also fulfilled that feast in that He is pictured in that unleavened bread lying flat in the grave on that Saturday. And then Sunday... Which we know is the Sunday in which Christ rose from the dead. We saw the feast of first fruits in which the the, 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 the first fruits of the harvest was brought forth as, as projecting a, a, and embracing the promise that God was going to bring more. And we see that Christ fulfilled this in his resurrection on Sunday by being the first few first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. Christ being resurrected and being glorified in his body was a kind of down payment of all the future resurrection of all believers of all time. And then we saw the Feast of Harvest, or also known as the Feast of Pentecost, which we see wonderfully fulfilled. Some 50 days later, in Acts chapter 2, with an ingathering of the harvest and, 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 and God bringing forth this one new man of Jews and Gentiles in, in many ways pictured with the, the two loaves and the two lambs that were sacrificed. And so we would anticipate that as we think of the redemptive calendar, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, Pentecost, that there might be something next on the divine calendar that the Feast of Trumpets might point to. And wouldn't you know, it points, these last three feasts that we're going to look at point to realities not in the first coming, but the second coming of Jesus. Which makes sense because the... Feast that we looked at with Passover, unleavened bread, and then the feast of first fruits, all were on in the first of the month. The first month on the Jewish calendar, okay, which was is basically springtime, the beginning of the 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 harvest. And then these last feasts, and then and by the way, Pentecost is like kind of like right in the middle. And and then the last autumn feast, these fall in like September, October. And the autumn feast in in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, it begins with this feast of trumpets. And and it's towards the end of the harvest. And so these end of the harvest feasts, it makes sense because on the divine calendar, they're also at the end of the harvest with the coming of Christ. And by the way, these three feasts, or these, there's seven feasts altogether, but the way in which God designed it, three of them are are regarded as pilgrimage feasts, that if you traveled to Jerusalem, the three times in which God instructed, you could hit all the feasts. Listen to Exodus chapter 23, verse 14 through 17. By the way, Exodus 23 and Leviticus 23 also speak. Exodus 23 verse 14 says, Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, for seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month Abib. For it, in it you came out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. So the first pilgrimage feast is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So obviously all you would have to do is come a day earlier, and you would have Passover, and, and stay for the entire Feast of Unleavened Bread, and you would also get the Feast of Firstfruits. The second pilgrimage one is in verse 16, you shall keep the feast of harvest. This is Pentecost uh, of the first fruits of your labors from what you sow in the field. And so this was 50 days later after the feast of unleavened bread, you would travel and you would be there for Pentecost. And then these autumn feasts are mentioned in in verse uh, 16. The second part, also the feast of ingathering, at the end of the, of the year, when you gather in the fruit of your labors from the field, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord Yahweh. And so this was the this would have been in the seventh month. The last three feasts. So if you traveled for uh, this the Feast of the Ingathering, which also, by the way, is the Feast of Trumpets at the end of the harvest, you would also be able to hit those last three. All that to say, if you traveled into Jerusalem three times a year, the three times that God instructed, you could be there for all seven feasts. Now, again, this is important because it helps us understand Old Testament worship was indeed different than New Testament worship. We gather once a week before the Lord under the hearing of his word. In ancient Israel, they gathered three times a year during those special feasts. Now, sometimes people think that they, they, they gathered also on the Sabbath, but you couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. Uh, you couldn't do that once a week. I mean, if you lived 30 miles north of Jerusalem, you weren't going to travel 30 miles on foot or on donkey, okay? So they traveled these three times out of the year to gather before the Lord, to bring their sacrifices. And so, the rest of our time, we're going to focus on the Feast of Trumpets. And we're going to learn three vital realities about the Feast of Trumpets, the first is it, it was a blast to remember. A blast to remember. Let's pick it up in verse 23. Again, Yahweh spoke to Moses. So this is a, this is one of those tip-offs in the book of Exodus of a new section, speaking of a new feast here. Saying in verse 24, speak to the sons of Israel, saying, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a rest. So notice here, it's the seventh month, okay? And as I mentioned on our calendar, this would fall roughly September, October, depending upon the year. Also notice it's the seventh month now. If you're familiar with Torah, with the first five books of the Bible, the number seven has tremendous significance. It goes back to those, that first week of creation where the seventh day was that Sabbath day, that day of rest. And so this seventh month is a kind of Sabbath month after the completion of the harvest. There was a kind of vacation month, if you will, where, uh, you know, it's kind of similar to my neighbor, who does some homesteading, comes October, and he tells me, this is the time of year where I'm bored out of my mind. All the work's done, right? The garden's not producing anymore. There's not much to do. And so this is the seventh month, and on this there was to be a Sabbath, and a rest. It's the first day of the month. Okay. Now, again, each of these seven feasts have, they, they all flow out of that weekly Sabbath. They're all connected to that weekly Sabbath. And again, each of these feasts, even the Sabbath included, it, w- it was a prophetic picture that is fulfilled in Christ. And that, by the way, especially if you're visiting this morning, is one of the reasons why we don't celebrate the Feast of Trumpets. Okay. Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says, Therefore, no one is to judge you in food and drink. Those are the laws related to, you know, not eating shrimp and lobster and bacon. All those laws in Leviticus 11 through 15. Or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, things which are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So these things are shadows, okay? Just like, you know, when the sun is coming up in the morning, uh, you know, there's a shadow that moves, okay? There's a shadow that points to a reality. Uh, Yesterday, when I was driving... To Cleveland early in the morning, the sun was rising behind me, and it was kind of interesting because you could see the shadow of my van in front of me. Okay? But it's not my van. It points to my van. My van is the reality, but the shadow was there. In in a similar way, these feasts, the Sabbath, and these feasts were shadows. And that's why, because Christ has come, we don't observe them anymore. We celebrate the reality, because the reality of Christ has come. Also, one footnote here with this feast it happens on this first day of the seventh month. Now, if you're talking with a Jewish person today, they will call this feast Rosh Hashanah, okay? Which, if you can say Rosh Hashanah, you just learned your first two Hebrew words, okay? Rosh means head or beginning. Hashanah means year. Now, you may be thinking, if you're a mathematical whiz, you think okay 7th month that doesn't sound like the beginning of the year right I thought Passover and unleavened bread and first fruits they were in the first month well according to Jewish people Rosh Hashanah this also feast of trumpets is considered the the beginning of the civil year okay um, it's, again, similar because the harvest is ended. It's like the beginning of a new year. You, know, you say, well, that sounds very confusing, Matt. Well, if somebody's an accountant, you know what's the beginning and the end of the what? Fiscal year. If you are a student or involved in education, and, uh, you know, Labor Day is right there. Many of you homeschooling mothers start to get very anxious and overwhelmed. And you think, what are we going to do with these children? How can they be educated? Because why? It's the beginning of the year. Not January, but it's the beginning of what? The school year, right? So we get that while we have our you know, New Year's Day, January 1. Uh, there's also different kind of things in the calendar that are other New Year's. So similar Jewish people, Rosh Hashanah. So if you hear somebody talk about Rosh Hashanah, it's the Feast of Trumpets, okay? Verse 24, this feast was to include a memorial of blowing of trumpets a holy convocation. So this feast was to begin with blowing of trumpets. Now, there were different trumpets in ancient Israel, just as like, you know, some of you musicians may, you know, have different know of different kinds of trumpets and horns and things like that. But there there's kind of the the common one that, that we see come repeatedly throughout the Old Testament of what's sometimes called the shofar or the ram's horn. Okay. Um and so this was literally a horn that was made from a ram's horn. And in Jewish tradition they they didn't like to get uh, these horns from cows or calves or things like that because of its associations with the golden calf. So they stuck with the ram horn. And w- now, was this the ram horn that was to be blown here? We'd, I can't say for sure. Because Numbers chapter 10 also speaks of silver trumpets. So, there was at least two different kinds of trumpets in Israel. You had the ram 's horn trumpet that would be blown on certain occasions. Then you had the silver trumpets also there 's kind of an interesting uh, Jewish debate over how many times the trumpet was to be blown and there was a huge debate, but they they kind of settled in Jewish tradition over there being this long long trumpet blast and then a staccato of three 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 trumpet blasts that end with this final long trumpet blast and then verse 25 says you shall not do any laborious work as mentioned already this was a kind of sabbath rest and then the second part of verse 29 you shall Bring an offering by fire near to Yahweh, so there were certain instructions related to bringing sacrifices, as there were with all the other feasts. There were certain specifications of sacrifices and if 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 you wanted more insight, you would have to turn to numbers chapter twenty nine verses one through six that that uh, delineates what kinds of sacrifices were to be brought i 'll read it for you if you have nimble fingers, you can turn there it says now in the seventh month. On the first day of the month, you shall also have a holy convocation, a holy gathering. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, and this was the burnt offering. Was to consist of one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, uh, uh, male lambs one year old without defect. So this was the burnt offering. This was the substitutionary offering, uh, in which the hand was laid upon the animal. The animal was killed, and this the entire animal was consumed on the altar. And this was again a picture of. Israel, the people of Israel needing a substitute, needing a sacrifice. In order for them to approach the holy God, to be in the presence of the holy God, sacrifice had to be made. Punishment had to be made either on the person or the animal. Better the animal. But then, in verse 3, there was also a grain offering. This was the tribute offering. Fine flour mixed with oil, three tenths of an ephah for the bull, two tenths for the ram, and one tenth for each of the seven lambs. So this this uh, grain offering was to be tossed on top of the burnt offering and consumed on the altar. And remember, this was a way of 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 the Israelites showing their homage, their reverence, their submission to the God of Israel. And then verse 5, one, offer one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you besides the burnt offering of the new moon and the grain offering and the continual burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinance for a soothing aroma offered by fire to the Lord. So this last offering mentioned here was a sin offering, which we talked about that, that's the purification offering that where the blood was used as a kind of detergent to clean sin, to clean the uncleanness that would creep into the tabernacle. But for for our purposes, what I want us to to see very clearly here, what Moses states here, that there was to be a blowing of the trumpets for a memorial. Well, what, what is this memorial? Is this for the people to remember something, or for God to remember something. It seems to me that this blowing of the trumpets was a, a kind of calling and asking God to remember his people. That's the way in which this word memorial was used so very often, especially in the first five books of the Bible. In fact, one commentator on the book of Leviticus named Jay Skler. He says, in context in which the trumpets are blown, it is to acknowledge and request the Lord's help. The blowing of the trumpets was therefore a musical prayer, acknowledging and requesting the Lord's favor. And since the Lord is the one commanding them to do this, it is the assurance that he will hear their prayer. And so what he's saying here is that the blowing of the trumpets, the sounding of the trumpets, certainly one of the purposes here was this was a calling and asking God to remember his people, to remember his covenant that he had made, that he had entered into a promissory agreement with his own people. And again, this is how this, this word memorial or remembrance is is used. Uh, in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 15, God says, I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh So the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So this is a reference to the Noahic covenant where God promised all of humanity that he is never again going to destroy all of humanity by water. And God says, I will remember my covenant. And the rainbow in the sky is a reminder, is a reminder that God will be faithful and remember His promise. This word is also used in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 24. Remember the Israelites in the midst of the oppression in Egypt. When Pharaoh is 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 just bearing down his unrealistic expectations for the Hebrews, and, and, and in Exodus two twenty four it says, "So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God remembered His covenant." Now, obviously, if you're thinking here, you're thinking, "Well, okay." I mean, isn't God omniscient? You know, is God forgetful? He needs to be reminded. No, obviously that's not the case. God knows everything. God is not forgetful. But the Hebrew word zakher, or its associate here, zikron, it carries the idea of remembering with a view to acting. It's it's the idea of having knowledge and acting upon that knowledge. Uh, Sometimes in our Western thinking, the idea of remembering only has to do with I just remembered something and, and whether I acted upon it or not doesn't really matter. But, but for them, it's, it's and so this, this idea of God remembering is God responding to the knowledge of the reality of this covenant that he has made with his people. So this highlights God as a God of faithfulness. He will not forget his people. He will not renege his promise. He will be faithful to his promise that he has made to his people. And in this context, the people of Israel, there's the Abrahamic covenant that he had promised a land, a a people, a seed, a great name, but also the, the, the covenant that he entered in at Sinai. This promise that, that they will be His people and He Himself will be their God if they follow His ways. And so this is God here saying through the blowing of the trumpet as, as the people of Israel blew the trumpet this was the, the idea of praying God remember us. Remember the promise you made to us. It also, this idea of remembering highlights the reality of God's kindness and grace towards His people. In Exodus chapter 28, verses 12 and verse 29, part of the uniform of the high priest, he was to have on his breastplate, there was to be two stones... In Exodus 28, 12, two stones on the shoulder piece of the ephod as stones of, here's our word, stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before Yahweh on his two shoulders for remembrance. And so the high priest, part of the ceremony, part of the ritual, as he would approach Yahweh, God, the true and living God, he had the, this, this, this ephod over his breastpiece with two stones, and on the two stones had the names of the twelve tribes of Israel, and this was a very symbolic way of saying God Remember your people favorably. Be kind to your people. Accept this sacrifice on behalf of your people. Accept the intercession of this priest on behalf of your people. God, remember us. It's used similarly in Numbers chapter 10, verse 9. When you go to war in your land against the adversaries who, t- who attack you, then you shall sound the alarm with trumpets that you may be remembered before Yahweh your God and be saved from your enemies. Again, you're going to war. Enemies are against you. You blow the trumpets as a tangible way God Remember us. Similarly, Genesis 30 verse 22 says, God remembered Rachel and listened to her and opened her womb. So this idea of remembrance, the trumpets were blown at the beginning of this gathering of the Feast of Trumpets as a memorial God, remember us. And so certainly as new covenant believers, we we don't live under that Mosaic covenant that was given at Sinai, but we live under the new covenant as Jeremiah prophesied that that I will give them a new covenant covenant in which I will remember their sins no more. That we regularly through the communion, we come and, and the communion is where we remember what the Lord has done, but also there's a sense in which we pray, remember this promise you made, O God. Anytime you confess your sins, right? God, remember that you promised that Jesus died for my sins. Remember when you're going through a trial and life seems to be just weighing heavy upon you just difficulty trial after trial and you hold on to the promise that God says in Romans 8.28 that he causes all things to work together for good to those who love him to those who are called according to his promise and you say God remember this promise you made Please be at work for good in this difficult situation. Maybe you're weighed down by your guilt as you keep stumbling into the same sin over and over. And you come to God with tears in your eyes and you hold on to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And you say, God, remember your promise. Or maybe you're in the midst of a a time of isolation and loneliness in your life. And you remember the, the promise of Hebrews 13 that God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you bang on that promise and you say, God, remember, do not leave me. Do not forsake me. Friends, there's much medicine for the soul with this feast of trumpets. You may not summon God to remember by breaking out, you know, that musical instrument you learned in seventh grade. But you can still pray, God, remember. Remember me. Maybe you're sitting here and you've never asked God to remember you. And I urge you to do so. In fact, There was a guy who was in the midst of dying upon the cross next to Jesus. And do you remember what he said? Remember me when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus gave him the promise today you will be with me in paradise. It is a call of faith. It is a a laying a hold of God's promise by faith and asking Him to remember His promise that He made to you. Well, friend, it is a blast to remember covenant. But secondly, it's it's a blast to worship gathering. In fact, the only previous time that, that I know of in those first five books of the Bible that mentions trumpets and blasts is in Exodus chapter 19. I mentioned it earlier. I'll read it for you. The Exodus nineteen twelve and 13. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. So this is not a seeker-sensitive service, okay? You know, there's, you know, signs everywhere. Beware, you might die, okay? And so these 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 beware signs are plastered all over, but at the end of verse 13 it says, When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. When the, when the horn blasts, gather, gather in the presence of Yahweh on this holy mountain. And so we see something similar as well on this first day of the seventh month The blast goes out as a summons for God's people to gather. For God's people to come together in the very presence of Almighty God. I guess there's a sense in which historically churches have had church bells that start sounding, although I think I read somewhere that was related to warding off the evil spirits, some kind of medieval, superstitious voodoo. But it could also be a gather a time reminder to gather. One commentator, Alan Ross, says Tishri was the seventh month of the year, and the number seven may signify other things, the consummation or completion of God's program, bringing about the fullness of times, the the times of restitution of all things spoken by the mouth of the holy prophets since the world began. And then he goes on to say, accordingly, perhaps in reference to this ordinance, we find in the book of Revelation, that the destinies of the age are sealed in books with seven seals, and the events of the seventh seal are ushered in by the sound of seven trumpets. And so it would make sense with this feast, which is at the at the end of the harvest as these other feasts prophesied related to the first coming, now this feast on the towards the end of the year at the time of the harvest that this would point forward to the second coming of Christ and so now we need to go to the new testament and see the way in which the authors of the new testament understood this idea of trumpets 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 1st Thessalonians is before 2nd Thessalonians hope that helps There's always got to be one. One in the crowd. 1 Thessalonians. You know the passage. But we do not want you to be uninformed brethren. Somebody said it's okay to be grace brethren or Plymouth brethren, but you don't want to be uninformed brethren. (laughs) About those who are asleep. And here, asleep is a euphemism for dead. And it's a good euphemism. It's a good word picture for death because death, the, the body going into the grave as, as sleep, it's something that's temporary. It's temporary for both believer and unbeliever. But this is about the resurrection of believers. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, to be uninformed related to those who are asleep so that you do not grieve as the rest who have no hope. So Paul's writing this so that the believers would have hope. There was evidently some concern about what happened to people who died uh, who died before Jesus comes back. I mean, are they going to be left out? Are they going to have their bodies raised and united with their spirits that are now in heaven? Or did they just, you know, out of luck? And so Paul says, I, I, I don't want you to grieve as the rest who have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. In other words, Paul's saying, don't worry about those who have already died. When Jesus comes back, he's going to raise them. Verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Paul's saying, not only are they going to be raised, you're going to be at the back of the line, okay? They're going to be at the front of the line. They're going to be in front of you, you know? It's going to, they're going to have, you're going to have to give them back cuts or whatever that was in Lunch lines in elementary. <laughs> They're going to be in front of you in line. They're going to be resurrected before you are. And, it, it, and, and when he says you, assuming that they were still would still be around when Jesus comes back. That was their great concern. The, the church in Thessalonica was very end times oriented, you know. Uh, I almost envisioned them. They they were the church that had all the charts out and when the timing of all these things was going to happen. It's just conjecture. I don't know if they really did. And then verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel." And with, here it is, the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have already died, they're going to rise first so that everybody who died in Christ, while their spirits are in heaven, their spirits are going to come down and unite with their body and they're going to meet the Lord. There's going to be a gathering. The dead in Christ will rise first, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So here's Paul saying this is how it's going to go down, okay? You guys are so concerned about those who have died already and you think when Jesus comes back they're going to miss out. Paul's saying no. No. They're going to rise. They're going to rise first. And then those who are still alive when Jesus comes back, all of a sudden they will be caught up together in the air with them and you will meet the Lord. So that there's this trumpet blast that the king has come and there's a gathering, dare I say, the first church gathering of (laughs) heaven. Where all the saints will be together caught up in the air. Those who have died already and they're in heaven, but their bodies will be united with their spirits and will all collectively meet Jesus in the air. Wow. That will be a sight to see. That will be quite a gathering. And then notice, and I love this, at the end of verse 17, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I remember there was a season in my life where I was trying to figure out all the details of end times and timing of the rapture and all this, and and I just happened to be uh, taking a, a a Greek exegesis class in which we were translating First Thessalonians. And I remember it was like four in the morning or something. Me trying to complete this assignment before it was due at like eight o'clock, and I'm just like so tired. I'm translating word after word, and I came across this passage that we. We'll always be with the Lord. And I thought, you know what? I'm not sure about the details, but that's gold. (laughs) Whatever it's going to be like, whatever the timing of all these events, I'm not sure, but I'm going to be with Jesus. And that is good enough for me. But it happens when God's people are summoned through the trumpet to gather and to meet the Lord in the air. And by the way, 1 Corinthians gives us more insight on this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, the Apostle Paul again says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, we will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. So what, what Paul is saying in the first Corinthians 15 passage is that when those who are alive and remain, when the Lord comes back and that those who have died already, they're raised first, but we also will be raised. We will immediately receive a glorified body If you are alive when Jesus comes back, so that there will be one generation of Christians who do not experience death. They go straight to glorification immediately. And Paul writes this so that we would have hope, that we would comfort one another with these words. Friends, is this your hope? Is this your longing? Do you get excited about the coming of Christ? Or does your thought immediately go to all those things that you'll have to give up? The Apostle Paul spoke to this matter in Second Timothy chapter 4. As he's about to enter eternity, he's in his second Roman imprisonment. He knows that execution is on the horizon. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his Appearing, All who have loved his appearing are promised a crown of righteousness. But then Paul juxtaposes his own love for Christ's appearing with another kind of love. Because in verse 9 he says, Be diligent to come to me soon, for Demas having loved not his appearing, but having loved this present age has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas also had a love, not for the appearing of Christ, but for this present age. Demas was overcome by the barnacles of this world hanging on him that much like Lot's wife, you could take her out of Sodom, but you couldn't take Sodom out of her heart. That when Lot's wife was called to flee, flee to the hills because God's judgment is coming, she looked back because her heart was in Sodom. Friend, where is your heart today? Is your greatest treasure in heaven or is your greatest treasure on earth? Now the Lord gives us many wonderful things to enjoy in this fallen world. But the treasure, the chief treasure for the Christian is the Lord Jesus himself. The greatest realities that God gives to the believer, are tucked in heaven and secured in heaven. And so as Jesus says, where your treasure is, what? There your heart will be as well. And so friend, where is your heart? Is your heart in heaven? Because that's where your greatest treasure is? Where's your heart here on earth trying to glut this world for all that you can get out of it? God calls us to have a heart in heaven. And, and those who love His appearing, they're going to persevere. They're going to fight that good fight of faith that Paul talks about. Henry Law says the trumpet will sound, the graves will open, the dead will rise. Among them you must take your place. Oh, realize this solemn scene. The world would try to ignore the dread account, but it comes. It comes quickly, and you must bear your part. Is your plea ready? Can you appeal to Christ that you are His? Can you establish evidence of a saving interest in all His work? Faith can. It humbly reasons with the judge. I may not die, for you have died for me. My condemnation is long past. It fell at Calvary on you. This plea is sure. I ask again, is this your plea? The gospel trumpet still offers it. The judgment trumpet will soon demand it. And so, friend, if you are not ready for His appearing, turn to Christ, hide yourself in Him. Find forgiveness of sins, so that you're ready to meet your Maker. Because as we see with this last point, not only is this trumpet sound, it's a blast to remember covenant, it's a blast to remember gathering, namely gathering uh, to the Lord as he, we are caught up in the air, but it's also thirdly a blast of war cry. For this you have to turn to the last book of the Bible. Because as was mentioned in the Alan Ross quote, this is one of the few other times in the New Testament that we see trumpets. And there's all kinds of illusions that go back to Torah in Revelation 8, 9, 10. In Revelation chapter 8, verses 8, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 8, verse 2, John records, Then I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer. And much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense went up with the prayers of the saints out of the angel's hand before God. And then verse 5, Then the angel took the censer filled and filled it with fire on the altar and threw it on the earth. And there followed peals of thunder and sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. What does that sound like? Sounds like Exodus 19 to me. Verse 6. And the seven angels who had seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. And the first sounded, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and the green grass was burned up. Hmm. First trumpet. Hail, fire, blood. Sounds like Exodus chapter 9. Plagues coming. God judging. Verses 8 through 11 of Revelation 8. And the second angel sounded something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. And a third of the creatures which were in the sea which had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. What's that sound like? Remember the Nile turning to blood? Verse 10, The third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell and a third of the rivers uh, and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is called Wormwood, and a third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the waters because they were made bitter. Verse 12 of Revelation 8, The fourth angel sounded, trumpet, and a third of the sun, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them would be darkened, and the day would not shine for a third of it, and the night the same way. So darkness, God shuts out the lights. Was that not also one of the plagues of Egypt, where God, mocking Ra, the sun god of Egypt, turned the lights out for three days in Exodus 10? Move on to chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the pit of, uh, of the abyss was given to him. Verse 3. Then out of the smoke came locusts on the earth and power was given them as scorpions of the earth have power and they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth nor any green thing nor any tree but only men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads and they were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment for five months and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man and in those days men will seek death and will never find it they will long to die and death flees from them. So, this gets a little crazy here. Giant locusts whose one job is to torture humanity. Similar, although not exactly like the locusts that we see in Exodus chapter 10. Revelation 13. Then the sixth angel sounded. I heard a voice of four horns and the golden star which is before God. One sang to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who have been bound at the great river Euphrates. And then verse 16 of Revelation 9, the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard a number of them, and this is how I saw the vision of horses and those who sit on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and hyacinth and brimstone, and the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire and smoke and brimstone, and a third of mankind was killed by the three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. Then verse 20, And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent from the works of their hands so as to worship demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and of stone and wood which neither can see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor their sorceries nor their sexual immorality nor their thefts. So what's going on here, friends? These trumpet blasts are summoning wartime. What kind of war? War of God against humanity. Or God's bringing his blows of plague after plague and judgment and the sobering reality is in that last section that we just read in chapter 9, verse 20 and 21. Despite God pouncing and pouncing and death and, and all kind of misery. There's a refusal to repent. Friend, the world is raging at war against God. Thinking that God won't respond with a summon to war. But He will. He will in due time. friend, You don't want to be on the other side of the football with God staring you in the face. You will not win when the whistle sounds. You will be flattened, flattened for all eternity. God is a God of righteousness and justice. Indeed, He is a God of kindness and He extends His hand of kindness and mercy. In in Jesus' first coming, He came to save sinners. But in his second coming, he comes to slay sinners. And so you best be on his team. You best repent and believe the gospel before it's too late. Because you may just be hardened in unbelief beyond the point of no return. Just like Pharaoh of old and just like these people in this time period, who would not repent. They saw the hand of God bare, folding, clenching its fist against them and they still refused to repent. But there's one more trumpet, seventh trumpet, and you have to flip forward to chapter 11, verse 15 to 19. It says, then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, We give thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your rage came. And the time came for the dead to be judged and to give reward and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the sanctuary of God which is in heaven was opened and the ark of the covenant appeared his sanctuary and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. So this last trumpet seems to signify this, the coming of Christ where the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God, uh, of our Lord and of his Christ. friend. The second coming of Christ is both a great hope for the believer and a dread for the unbeliever. He will come warring against humanity, a war that he will win, that will incarcerate all rebellion and ultimately throw it into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone forever and ever. The end of the harvest. When all are gathered in, the trumpet will sound and Christ will return. You're familiar with the story of Cinderella? She had to live with a wicked stepmother and stepsisters, but then she went to the ball. And it was at the ball that she met a prince. And even though she had to go back to her stepmother and stepsisters and all their nastiness, she was able to endure knowing that one day the prince was coming back for her. Friend, are you part of the bride of Christ? And know that he's coming back. And yes, he will come back to wage war against unbelief, but he will come back to claim his bride for his own. May that be your hope this morning and forever. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for these sobering words that challenge us, prick us in our conscience, and drive us to you. Lord, I pray that we would be amongst those who love your appearing. In Jesus' name, amen.